Hello and welcome to the Millennial Minimalist Podcast. I am your host, Kelly Foss, and together with my co-host, Lauren Morley, our mission is to help you simplify your life and live with greater intention. Together, let's live more with less. Hi, everyone. Today, Lauren and I are talking about how to free ourselves from everyday distractions that we can focus on the most important things. And to lead this conversation, we are joined by Fame Minimalist blogger and Wall Street Journal bestselling author of The More of Less and The Minimalist Home, the amazing Joshua Becker. Joshua is often recognized as the minimalist dad whose journey to minimalism began one afternoon while cleaning his garage. In this experience, he realized that his possessions were taking away quality time from one of the most important important things in his life, his family. Now, many years later, Joshua has since aligned his life around the things that matter most to him. And today we discuss the relationship between minimalism, intentionality, and our values. And we share insights from his latest book titled Things That Matter, Overcoming Distraction to Pursue a More Meaningful Life. Releasing on April 19th, in Things That Matter, Joshua aims to help us overcome life's distractions so that we can live with greater purpose. And in our conversation, we discuss the important questions we can ask ourselves and the daily habits we can adopt to help us live out our dreams. Be inspired to let go of everyday obstacles and start building the meaningful lifestyle you seek to create. Welcome to the Millennial Minimalist Podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Honestly, I just sent an email and said, have me on. So mm-hmm. thank you so much for uh, for doing that. Yeah, it, we we got that email from you and we both got so excited. <laughs> We're, yeah. I mean, it's been a long time coming. Uh, so you are one of the biggest, if not the biggest minimalist thought leader out there. You have a recognized blog at becomingminimalist.com that has reached over 60 million people, a YouTube channel with millions of minutes watched every month, and you've written multiple books over the years to help people, what you say, pursue their greatest passions by owning fewer possessions. And now you're releasing a new book on April 19th called Things That Matter, Overcoming Distraction to Pursue a More Meaningful Life, which aims to help us let go of life's obstacles that we can live a more meaningful life with minimal regrets. And today we're super excited to share your insights. But before we do, for those who are unfamiliar with your story, can you describe the experience that motivated you to get rid of excess possessions in your life and adopt a minimalist lifestyle? Yes. Well, thank you for having me on. This is fantastic. Nice to finally, finally be invited on the show. But, uh, (laughs) you know, I found minimalism um, a little over 10 years ago, and it was uh, a story I've told countless times since then. It was just entirely life-changing for me. It started out as just a Saturday morning to do spring cleaning. My son was five. My daughter was two. I offered to clean out the garage. We were living up in Vermont at the time, so this long winter, and uh, we we're going to do our spring cleaning. Uh, my son wanted me to play with him in the backyard, but I had kind of set my mind on cleaning out the garage. And I don't know, the project just took longer than I thought. And hours later, I'm still cleaning out the garage, trying to organize and sort everything out. I started complaining to my neighbor about how long it was taking me to clean out the garage, and she was the first person I ever heard use the word minimalism. She said, you know, that's why my daughter is a minimalist. She keeps telling me I don't need to own all this stuff. And I looked at the pile of things in my garage and driveway I'd spent cleaning, cleaning out all Saturday morning, 
And then out of the corner of my eye, there's my son, and he's swinging alone on the swing set in the backyard where he'd been all morning long, and suddenly realized that my possessions weren't making me happy, which we would all say, right? Don't we all say our possessions aren't making us happy? We're not looking for happiness, our possessions. Uh, But I noticed in that moment uh, how my things were actually distracting me from the very thing that did bring happiness and meaning, joy and fulfillment in my life. And so that was that was the start of our journey. And I think it's the the realization that that leads people into minimalism. Like most people would say their possessions aren't making them happy, but it's that moment that we realize that our things and the more we accumulate our things actually distract us from happiness uh, is when I think the whole idea of intentionally owning less uh, starts to make sense. Yeah. You, you mentioned the word subtracting from your life a few times in your book, but I'm, I'm curious, what would you say is one of the most significant benefits that you gained after removing those possessions? Was it you know, immediate time back with the mo- for the most important things or what was that thing? So I would say that there are probably... Uh, two or three different levels to um, how I noticed my life improving and I noticed the benefits. Like it started out very surfacy, I guess. Like, hey, I own fewer things. I, I, it, it's easier to clean my house. I, if I'm buying fewer things, it means I have more money left over. Uh, there's fewer things around me causing visual clutter and visual noise in my life. And so there's just less stress and there's more calm and there's more peace. Like those were the first benefits that I noticed. Mm -hmm. Um, Then I think that there's probably um, uh, like a second level of, um, hey, the more I do this, the more I embrace this idea, the more I have opportunity for generosity in my life, like the more I can give away, the more the more contentment I'm feeling, just not needing to buy everything, everyone, everything that everyone else is buying. Um, there was more, I think, gratitude that kind of emerged of, hey, if I'm not so focused on what I don't have, I can start to appreciate more what I do have. So mm-hmm. kind of like, like this, like this second, and even the the process of minimizing possessions and the process of purposefully owning less forced a lot of internal reflection on like, why was I buying so much stuff? Why is this hard for me to get rid of? And so I think I was growing a lot about uh, learning a lot about myself in the process. So yeah, like first level, very surface, more money, more time. And then, hey, gratitude and generosity and some of this internal stuff that was happening. And then probably like the third and probably the answer to what is the greatest benefit of minimalism is it was taking back intentionality and control of my life. It was because no one I think says, I just want to own as much stuff as I possibly can. No one says, Mm -hmm. I just want to have as much clutter in my home as I possibly can. And yet we just fall into that, I think, because of society or culture or advertisers or whatever unhealthy motivation we have in our lives. And so I think the greatest benefit was just embracing a more intentional way of life, um, not just in possessions, but in other aspects as well. It seemed like there was a mindset shift there. I have spoke with Greg McEwen. I'm sure you've heard of him. Uh, he wrote the books, Essentialism and Effortless. And he says, quote, when we focus on what we lack, we lose what we have. When we focus on what we have, we gain what we lack. 
And I think that's so true. And you, you had mentioned that, you know, when you're focusing on what you lack, you're going to lose what you have. So, yeah. so, I mean, that, that's so important. And then I also want to say in your book, you talk about all the internal and external obstacles in life that can sometimes hold us back from living the lifestyles we truly desire. And, you know, everyone deals with this, including everything from our distracting possessions and technologies to our fears and the opinions of others. Now, what questions can we ask ourselves to uncover the areas that may be holding us back? You know, sometimes we don't know what those things are and, you know, it'd be great to know, hey, what can we ask ourselves to better manage them or let them go? Yeah, man, that is a good question. Um, so for me, it was a, <clears throat> it was a, it was a process. It was like gaining control in one distraction uh, recognizing what that distraction was. And then it seemed to lead my mind into recognizing others. And so as I began owning fewer possessions and owning less stuff, um, I started to wrestle with the idea of, well, what's the role of money in my life if it's not to buy a lot of things? Like what, like what is the purpose of money? I, I clearly have enough stuff. As a matter of fact, I had so much money, not that I was wealthy, like I was just pretty lower middle class actually, but, and yet I had enough money that I could have a house full of things that I didn't even need. So what is this connection between I own more stuff that I need and yet I'm still worried that I don't have enough money. Like they can't, they can't coexist. Like either you, either you're buying stuff you don't need or you don't have enough money. Anyway, so wrestling with money a little bit, and then I can't help but starting to think about work. Like, okay, so what's the role of money in my life? And if that begins to change, then what's the purpose of work? Just to gain the money, to, to buy the things. And so wrestling with, um, for me, it was just a, a matter of wrestling with a lot of different things. What is the one question, that, what is the question that you could ask? I would, I would encourage people to, I mean, I'm sure you, I, I know you guys do this all the time. Like I would encourage people to own fewer things. Like I, I would, I would encourage you to take control of your possessions or take control of your habits or your schedule. Uh, you know, Courtney Carver at Be More With Less, her and Project 333, like her journey into minimalism was first she got intentional about her food, like her diet. And then that led her to becoming intentional with her possessions. And so I think there's different ways to, to do that. Uh, but taking back control in one area of life, I think, tends to show us different areas of life where maybe we're living unintentionally or have become something that we're pursuing or something that is an obstacle that's actually keeping us from, from our purpose. I mean, would you guys... I mean, what do you think? Have you I've, seen the same thing in your oh, own lives? I mean, Lauren inspired me to remove the possessions, the excess possessions. And then I realized, oh my goodness, there are so many other areas that are cluttered and that I can remove the excess from. And back to your comment on money, Lauren, you always tell me, she always says, oh, people need to ask themselves, what is your number? What yeah. is the number that's going to make you happy to live the lifestyle you want to live? Because a lot of people, they have more money than they need, and then they just work all their lives buying stuff they don't need when they don't actually need to do that. Yeah. They, could, yeah. they could work a job that makes them happier and own less, right? So, Lauren, you sounds like you say brilliant things. <laughs> I remember the first time I read your story and because like Kelly said, I've always lived this lifestyle. I've, even when I was a kid, I never had that much stuff. 
And I felt like I was a weirdo. Like people were like, oh, did you just move in here? Is this a spare bedroom? Why don't you own anything? And I remember reading your story and you telling that story about the garage. And I was like, I am not crazy. Like I am living my life properly. Like this is how people should be living and people aspire to live this way now. And I I loved your story. But I, I want to ask like, if we're not removing our possessions, which you talk about in the book, what are we actually giving up in our lives? Like what are the consequences of not removing these distractions? Yeah. Well, I want to hear more about you telling people to have a financial number. Yeah. <laughs> okay. What this is what I do with money. I think people should figure out what they actually want in life, where they want to live, yeah. what kind of house they want, what kind of hobbies they want to have, how much they want to eat out, how much they want to shop if they want to, um, how much they want to work, and then work backwards from that. I think that's what makes the most sense. Like I, I think a lot of times we're always trying to reach for this arbitrary number when it comes yeah. to money mm-hmm. instead yeah. of actually knowing how much money we want to make yeah. and what that looks like. <clears throat> and depending on where you live in the world, whether you have a family or you're single or the cost of living, that's going to look different for everyone. Yeah. And do you think that it works or when people get to that number, do they just readjust their number? I guess that's kind of my... Like yeah. that's my theory on money. Uh, I mean, in the U.S., 80, 80% of Americans have financial related stress. And, and I just can't help but wonder, like, why? Like, like, I realize there are some people in America who don't have food, but it, it just it just seems like for the wealthiest nation in the world, like, it seems like a staggering high number of people who are stressed about money. And um, certainly I suppose some of it is just not knowing when is enough enough. I, I tend to think people like have this idea of where they're going to be happy, like how much income will make their, ha- make them happy. And then they get there and they realize that they're, they're not that much happier. And so they just think that they had the wrong number and like, Oh, the number was actually higher. Um, going back to your question, I would, what is the the biggest thing that the people lose, right? Was that the that was the question that I cut you off and yeah. made you talk about something different? <laughs> Sorry about that. You're in charge here. Uh not me. Um gosh, I you know, I, I think the the point of uh the point of the book, the point of the new book, Things That Matter, is um how do we get to the end of our life with fewer regrets? Uh and I think that we get to the end of our lives. Uh, and we can be proud of the, we can look back on the way we lived and be proud of it when we uh, pursue things that matter, when we uh, pursue our purpose, when we live a life aligned with our values, and when we when we put our whole self into it. This is a, a side note, but I, I actually think this is the best way to overcome envy and, and jealousy in our lives, is when we know that we're living our life pursuing the things that are most important to us, mm-hmm. then we become less envious of others because it doesn't matter that my neighbor spent their money on a really nice car or that all those people in that gated neighborhood live in really big houses. It it doesn't matter that they're spending their money that way because I'm spending my money on the things that I want to spend it on and I'm spending my time on the things that I want to spend it on. And I'm pursuing the things that, that matter. And so um, the book isn't just about money and possessions, but like you mentioned, some of these other topics. But I think the, the biggest loss, I, I even forget your question, the biggest loss in 
in not pursuing minimalism is I think that we get to the end of our lives and realize that we wasted our money and time and attention and focus on things that, that didn't matter. Um, and um, um, we, we missed out on our fullest potential in life uh, because we, because we, because we wasted it to some extent on um, heedless luxury and um, uh, no good necessities. Because we cared about what other people thought. I think that's one of the yep. biggest things. And, yeah, we care what other people thought. And you, yeah. And also when you think of social media, we get to see what everybody's doing every day. And so there is that envy, right? So all of that involved. And that's one of the obstacles that we have to navigate. But with this lifestyle, we what we always say that you gain so much clarity in your everyday so that you can, you know, build out your life the way you want to and you know, also build up the people around you and not feel jealous of them. And I'm curious for you as a public figure, when it comes to managing the opinions of others, how do you free yourself to be yourself despite the negative criticism that comes with it? Well, I think that you, I think the truer you live your life, not swayed about by culture um, or expectations or doing things just for the sake of being known or or growing your platform or whatever the more you just live out your true self um, the easier it is to withstand criticism because you know that there isn't any duplicity in how you're living and um, when someone calls you out for being I was just talking to a husband of a, a politician um, here in Arizona, um, pretty well-known local politician. And uh, I was asking him what it's like to be the spouse of like a, a political figure. And uh, he said, he said, honestly, I think it's probably harder for me than it is for her because I read some of the things that people say mm. about her, like what her motivations are and who she's giving into and what her preferences are and why she might be doing different things. And I know none of that is true. And so it's just hard for me to read people saying those things about her. Um, and I think the the same is true for, I mean, for you guys, for anyone who's like putting themselves out there publicly. If, if you're putting out who you are and someone wants to, you know, someone wants to attack you in certain ways, the untrue ones are the ones that, don't mean anything to you. And the, the ones that are true want to point something out about you can usually be explained. I just, I mean, I think most criticisms of me are from people who don't understand what I'm right. What I'm saying, you know, it's, it's the ones where I did something because I was just hoping to get something to go viral or something to get a little, sp a little share, you know, shares on social media. And then they're calling me out on, there's a little, bit, Oh yeah, you're, <laughs> yeah, like that wasn't actually, you know, I think that that's when it's, uh, that's when it's the hardest. But I think that when you're, when you're true to your inner compass, and when you're true to your inner values and, and morals that um, I think there's probably less negative comments um, that you get less negative feedback, but they're much easier to, to weather because you know that you're you're doing, you're doing what's right anyway. Yeah. My, my grandfather always said, if you're going to put yourself out there, you're going to have lovers and haters. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I was like, oh no. And when Lauren and I recorded our first episode and people started downloading, we were thought, oh my goodness, what did I say? Did I say everything? Okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we got so nervous in the beginning. So yeah. One yeah. thing you said about praise in the book, which I loved, you said, 
someone else's praise will never take away from your own praise. And I think we, we always think, oh, they're getting attention and it's going to take away from me, but that's not yeah. how praise works. And something your grandfather said, which was so beautiful, praise is like perfume, smell it, but don't swallow it. Yeah. I, uh, um, he was, uh, he was a pastor. So, you know, a, a bit of a public figure, I guess, at least in, in his, in his, in his little world there. And, um, yeah, you can, uh, you can hear a lot of, you can hear a lot of high compliments, I, I guess was kind of his, like his, his approach. Um, you can hear a lot of, a lot of high praise and they can be, it can be encouraging and, and it can be wonderful. Um, but you know, we're all still humans. And I think when you, when you start to believe it too much, um, then, then it can be, it can be a problem, but yeah, yeah, yeah I, that was a whole, you know, the, the book gets into, I think, a, a lot of topics that I hope people find uh, find helpful. Uh, certainly goes beyond my my typical, you know, own less stuff. And here's how to, you know, minimize your kitchen. And it it really starts to wrestle with topics of um, meaning in the work that we do, and not sacrificing ourselves for the the praise of others, and rethinking money and retirement and. Uh, where we're finding happy, like a, a lot of, a lot of those um, different issues. And so that chapter on like, am I just doing what I'm doing for the praise of others and for the accolades that, that I receive from it? Um, or am I changing my life to pursue those things and prioritizing that over um, doing things that matter in the long run that don't always get noticed uh, by everybody? Um, I think that's when, anyway, that was probably the the most personal chapter that I struggle with um, and needed to write for myself as much as anyone else. And that chapter challenges us to ask ourselves questions, right? Um, you know, are, am I doing the things that are in line with my values? Uh, are the things that I'm doing making me happy? Are there things that I do want to do that I'm not doing because I'm fearful that I'm going to fail? And I mean, Lauren and I, you know, we had our fears even starting the podcast and starting Millennium Minimalist, and we've obviously pushed through them over the past four years, which has been rewarding. Uh, but, but for you, what practices or habits have you adopted to help you let go of your fears? Yeah. Yeah. You know, my, my whole journey into, um, I can look back and I can, I can see things that I did, uh, that I was fearful of, uh, and, and overcame by, I don't know, taking some small steps in, in that direction, um, by finding a internal conviction that, that this was worth, uh, pushing through the fear sometimes by, by putting safety nets in place. I, uh, it was, it was, um, it was an important part of the, the section for me to write because I can, uh, section in the book for me to write because I can I can look back on my life and see that I I have a I had a stable childhood I have uh, parents who love me and support me I, I I'm not in a ton of debt like there wasn't in a ton of debt like there's um there's a level of safety net that I think allowed me to push through some of those fears um, and I think if someone doesn't have that in place then the more you can try to do that, um, whether it be through relationships or a little bit of financial security, if we're talking about a big career change, um, whatever that might be, like putting those in place. Um, but, you know, just finding the 
the conviction that that this is valuable, that this is important, and that this is worth me pushing through the fear of. Uh, this is worth me putting in the effort to to figure it out and and putting myself out there. Now that being said, I I'm I'm I know that there are still fears that that hold me back sometimes, and some things that I think maybe I want to write and maybe want to publish and put out into the world and like a little bit of, mm, I don't, I don't know for sure how the reaction is going to be if I say everything I think to be mm-hmm. true, you know? And so I think there's a, a line of, you know, I think knowing when fear is healthy and, and when fear is, when fear is, is unhealthy. And I, I hope that I'm doing my best. And I think the the more that you do that and the more you put yourself out there, I wrote a, I wrote an article one time, it was inspired by Leo Babauta at Zen Habits, who wrote an article. I do not remember his, I don't remember the name, uh, but he wrote about some things you probably don't know about me, something like that, and um, super well-known blogger. And he kind of went through, okay, I'm, I'm, I remember him saying, I'm, I'm not as minimalist as I used to be. Mm. I struggle with this. I struggle with that. And it was like putting out like, the the negative the authentic side of him that you wouldn't really assume just looking from the outside and so i was really inspired by it i i wrote an article um about i do not remember something about authenticity and and seven things in my life that i'm ashamed of or something like that and um just kind of put out like seven areas that i feel like i really struggle in life and don't always put this out there because you tend to try to put your best foot forward. Um, but I was afraid to do it. And then like, it was like nothing but compliments about it. Like, thank you for doing this. And we struggle with the same thing. And it's helpful for us to hear that you struggle with the same things. And um, I think the more you, the more you do that and the more you take those steps, the more you see that some of that stuff is actually appreciated. And the more you fight through your fear of starting the podcast um, and you start doing it, the more you start hearing from people who are glad that you glad that you did it. And so I think that those um, steps help us overcome it. I could only assume that it was well-received because you were being vulnerable saying, hey, I'm imperfect at times. And so that's really relatable, right? I mean, I'm actually surprised Lauren and I haven't talked more about that. We, we do talk about how this lifestyle is imperfect and we're not always perfect in every area. I mean, originally Lauren thought, you know, she had mastered minimalism, but then through this research and over the years, she realized, wow, like I have mental clutter I need to work through. And for me, it's a combination of mental clutter and digital clutter that I'm still working through. And so it's more of a journey. It's a lifestyle and, you know, you get better every day and it requires maintenance. We like to communicate that, but, uh, but yeah, no, that's a very good point. And uh, if you can find that art, if I can find that article, I want to read it because it's real. And I think the more real your writing and the work that you do is like the more people will come to you because again, authenticity is the way to go. So, yeah. And it's rare. You know, yeah. and so when you see it in someone, you um, tend to tend to appreciate it. So I recently listened to a conversation you had on the Break the Twitch podcast, yeah. and you share how living a minimalist lifestyle has helped you, I quote, align your life around the things you value more than you had ever thought possible, which is super powerful. So how has living with less allowed you to show up in the world the way you want to, or what have you made room for that you value? 
Yeah, I, I um I remember where I was having that conversation with Anthony. I don't remember the the specific uh, context, although I can assume um, what I what I was talking about and what I meant was I didn't find. I, I think that for some people, minimalism forces them uh, doesn't force them, but it uh, paves the way for them to define new values and pursuits in life. But that wasn't necessarily the case for me. Uh, like I would say that the things I value most, um, my faith, my family, relationships, and making a difference in the world, like those are the four things that I that I value most, are the same things that I would have said uh, before I found minimalism. What I didn't realize was how all the things I owned and all the things I was chasing was actually distracting me from those four values. And so I would say that, I would have said that was what imp was important to me, but my life and checkbook certainly weren't aligning uh, with, those, with those actual things. And what I found when I uh, began pursuing minimalism and began redirecting my money and time and energy and focus towards those values was that I was able to accomplish more in those areas than, than I thought I would have ever been able to accomplish. Because I mean, when you think about it, your faith, if, if you have a faith pursuit, um, being a good husband, being a good father, um, being a good friend, making a difference in the world, like, like all of those are lifelong pursuits and and you can always improve in in all of those things and none of them like you reach the finish line and you've like done it i i was a good father and now i can move on to something else like they're all things that you uh continually chase after um and uh, i think the more that you can just redirect resources towards that uh, the more you can accomplish in those things i I, I say often that we don't realize how much of a burden our possessions have become until we begin to remove them. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think I found that out early on. Um, but also the the more I aligned my life with my with my passions and, and pursuits, the more I was able to accomplish, the more I was able to show up in the world than I ever thought I would. I like I never dreamt I'd be doing this. Like I, I never thought this would be a part of my life writing writing a book and getting to talk to Kelly and Lauren and like none of that I ever thought I would get to do, but, um, but here I am right now. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. One of the interesting mm -hmm. things in the book, cause like one of the biggest decluttering methods is the con Mari method. And you talked about how, you know, what was kind of wrong was with that was that our possessions were, were asking if they're sparking joy where I felt like your theory was really interesting because yours was more, are your possessions helping you live the life that you want to and helping you pursue your dreams? Like, is your closet like efficient and can you wake up and get dressed quickly and easily so that you can go do work that matters? Uh, can you just talk a little, little bit about that? That was a really interesting part in the book. Yeah. It's a, it's a, always a, um, a fine line that I try to walk there because I, I and I'm, I, I know I mentioned it. Like I am, thankful for anybody who helps people own less stuff. And I'm thankful for any process or strategy or question or, or way to way to get there. 
um, because different people respond to different approaches and theories right. and questions. And um, Marie Kondo's probably um, influenced more people to own less stuff than than I have. And so um, I didn't want to discount her uh, approach um, and her the you know the and I think the the famous question on its own out of the context of the book uh, tends to lead people down a different way than probably um, Marie even intended it. But, uh, you know, does it spark joy? And then this becomes this famous question. Well, does it spark joy? Does it spark joy? Does it spark joy? And, um, and there's some, there's some truth to it. Um, But uh, as I I try to make the case in the book, like my approach to minimalism hasn't been like, do my things make me happy or which of my things make me happy or which of my things spark joy in my life. But what things do I need in order to accomplish my purpose in life? Because when I'm walking in my purpose, this is when I discover joy and meaning and significance and fulfillment and have fewer regrets when I get to the end of my life. And so there's there's a space for for does it spark joy? I uh, I just think it maybe puts the cart before the horse. And, and maybe the question that we should be asking is, hey, what do I need? What do I want to accomplish with my life? What do I need to own in order to do that? And then what are just all the other things that have accumulated along the way that are actually distracting me, actually distracting me from that purpose? And I, I hope that that leaves room for I hope that leaves room for art. Like, I hope that leaves room for keeping some sentimental items from my grandparents who passed away or my parents who passed away. Like, it's not all, I need a fork to eat food, so I'm going to keep that and nothing else in my home. Like, there's a space for art and there's a space for creating calm and peace at home. Um, Not so that I live my entire life calm and peaceful at home, but I I need a place to rest and separate myself from the world so that I can go out and live my best life in the world tomorrow, making the biggest, uh, accomplishing the biggest good for the most amount of people. So um, that's, uh, that's the conversation I tend to have around minimalism and, and where I, where I approach it. And I, 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 I don't know, how do you guys approach it? What's, uh what's, you got, what's the theory? What's the philosophy that that you guys tell people? Well, we, we always say that minimalism is a lifestyle template. It's the ultimate reset. It's an opportunity to have that blank slate and start fresh and ask those mm. important questions such as, do the possessions in my life align with the lifestyle I'm living today? And even just starting with your closet, you know, do these clothes or, or are these items in my closet? It could be even sportswear, your clothes, your sportswear, do these things align with who I am today? Or is it the version of myself that I wanted to be that I never touched? For example, if I had a guitar in my closet, never actually picked it up, but I want to be, I want to play the guitar, but I don't, I know I'm not going to, or it's that old version of yourself, all those clothes that you know, you'll never wear again, but you don't know how to get rid of them. So, so I think that's something that we, we struggle with. Yeah. yeah, and I feel like minimalism for me, I always loved the aesthetic of it. Like I I loved the clear countertops and the neutral colors. Like it just brought peace to my life, like having a clear desk, like I had space. And then the more I learned about the lifestyle, the more I realized, like Kelly said, there's just so many different areas of it. And there was areas I was struggling with. Like I have a lot of mental clutter and 
you know, I always say I have two bath towels and like a million thoughts in my mind. So uh, it's definitely oh, that an is brilliant. <laughs> that is brilliant. That is brilliant. Did you so now you've you've kind of always lived minimalist. Um, so maybe this isn't a fair question. Do you find that owning fewer things frees up your mind a little bit? Or I mean, maybe you never had 20 bath towels. So it's tough to know what your mind was like back then, but, you know, in that scenario, but does it help a little, like you would have 2 million, 2 million thoughts if you had four bath towels, do you think? You know, sometimes when I feel overwhelmed and like frantic in life, I'm like, I feel this way and I don't even own that much. So I I can't imagine how people Mm -hmm who get overwhelmed and they come home to clutter. So I definitely feel like I'm at a benefit living this way because I feel like life in general is stressful and hectic. And I I take on a lot of commitments like podcasting and work and because I have the time to do it and I can. So maybe I would be more Mm. stressed if I had more stuff. Yeah, yeah, Lauren and I, we always hop on the call together and we talk about our stresses every week. Yeah. <laughs> and and we, we always remind ourselves, wow, imagine if we had a lot of stuff in our life, how much more challenging our life would be. And it's true. I mean, and something to mention is that, so I'm the minimalist adopter. Lauren's the natural minimalist. But we again, we, later we realize that both of us struggle. That being said, we both grew up in quite messy homes. I, okay. hate, to, I hate to admit it, but uh, our parents have owned a lot of stuff. And we had a very similar upbringing, Lauren and I, and we, we will talk about our mothers a lot and we try not to be mean, but it's really funny. My mom doesn't know how to listen to a podcast yet. So, uh, so you're <laughs> but safe? Yeah, we both were, <laughs> we're fine for now, but we both grew up in these homes with so much stuff and I, I couldn't stand it. My bedroom was empty because the rest of the house was so full And I remember thinking when I grow up and I'm an adult and I have my own place, I'm going to keep it so beautiful and clear and peaceful. And I I, like to this day, my parents' house is still full of stuff and I don't think my mom's ever going to get rid of it, but I could never live that lifestyle. So when you're, when your mom asks if it's hard to listen to a podcast, you tell her it's really complicated and she'll never be able to figure it out so that she doesn't ever try is that your goal is that is that the hope i'm like you're gonna have to get an iphone and airpods just just forget about it just forget it just forget it not worth the effort lauren's mom is the funniest lady on the planet so if anything she would just laugh at whatever we've said your mom is so easygoing I, I, i mean but and i should note that my parents they, you know, sometimes they listen and, uh, my mom, I just, by leading by example in my own place, she'll send me pictures. Oh, look what I did to the kitchen. Yeah. She gets so excited to declutter now. So it's good. I wanted to, she's like, Lauren, I want you to bring your boyfriend home. I want to meet him. And I was like, no mom, like the house is embarrassing. I don't want him to see <laughs> no, it. No. She's like, I'll just put like plastic wrap on all the yeah. clutter and tell him that we're painting. <laughs> <laughs> She's really funny. She's, she's a good spirit about it. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. It is interesting. One of the, like when I, um, when I speak about minimalism, like, and if there's any like time for discussion, like one of the first questions I always have people talk about is how did your family of origin impact your view of possessions? Um, and I always think it's a pretty helpful exercise for, for people to, to go through because people have different responses. Like, two siblings can grow up in a 
in a hoarder's house and one wants nothing to do with it and the other one continues on those habits going forward. Like it's just helpful to, even though we can grow up in the same home and end up on completely different ends of the spectrum to be able to say, you know what? I learned it because I grew up in a home where there was a lot of stuff and I just enjoyed my bedroom where it was calm and peaceful and knew that this was always going to be uh, how I live my life as opposed to, well, that's just the way I, I grew up. I, uh, in, um, in the minimalist home, I, I tell a story about one of my friends who, like just um, his dad always bought nice things uh, to show that he was doing well in the world. Like he was a successful businessman and he bought nice things in order to show that to everyone. Uh, and my friend always struggled with like not buying nice things because his dad didn't think he was successful if he wasn't buying nice things. And even though he was doing very well. He's just like, I just use my money for everything. But every time my dad comes to visit me, like, I just know it's going to be a thing. And um, he's going to ask me about why don't you have satellite radio in your car if you, if you have the money to afford it? And why are you driving this instead of something nice? And it's really helpful, I think, to understand where some of those motivations come from. Um, th there's a quote. It said that we're byproducts of our parents' unresolved issues. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so anything that they have gets passed on to us. Um, I really want to talk about this because this was a really interesting part about in your book too. You talk a lot about work and how work has changed over the years. Like work almost became the thing we do to, to get money so that we can do the thing we want instead of being the thing we want. So yeah. if you can talk a little bit and, and leisure, you mentioned leisure too, how we're, we're working so that we can have more leisure, but that's not the purpose of leisure. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably the, the one thing that I, I, I try to, uh, I don't know if war against is the right phrasing, um, especially in the days we're living in, but the, the thing that I probably, battle against in the like a misconception about minimalism even among people who pursue minimalism um and even from people on the outside and on the inside that the goal of minimalism at least in my opinion isn't to check out of the world like like the goal isn't i'm just going to own fewer things so that i can save my money so that I can go sit on a beach for the rest of my life and mm -hmm. do nothing because then I'm going to be really happy and I'm going to be living the dream that will make me fulfilled. Like I, I think that we, um, we own fewer things so that we can do better work in the world so that we can show up and make a difference and we can do what we do well so that other people can do what they do well. And then in the end, all of society benefits and, and um, uh, everyone benefits from us doing our best work in the world. But what, is, what has happened, and it's not new, I mean, I'm sure it goes back um, quite a long time, but work has become, like, like work has become selfish um, in terms of uh, work is what I do to earn the paycheck to go buy the house and buy the car and go on the vacation and go to nice restaurants and um, give money to my kids and get out of work as possible as soon as I possibly can. Like, like work has become entirely about what do I get out of it? Uh, and I think in that way, it loses its meaning. Uh, it loses its, or at least it loses its greatest meaning. It loses its greatest fulfillment. 
um, because it's just selfish. Like I punch in the clock so I can make the paycheck. And I, I think that every selfish pursuit has a, a pretty short life, a pretty short return on happiness. Like maybe it feels good for a little while, but eventually it, it wears off. And so uh, that's why I think so many people are disengaged at work and don't like going to work and can't wait until the weekend and can't wait until they retire and um, can't we can can't wait until their next vacation. But if we were to if we were to rethink work as, hey, this is like this is love. I, I mean, I mean, in some extent, like I'm I'm selflessly serving other people, whether it's I'm doing someone's taxes or um, I'm a dentist or a teacher or a grocery store clerk or a landscaper or a podcaster or a blogger or writer or creating entertainment. Like I'm doing what I do to serve other people uh, and to help other people and and to move um, move us all forward. And this way, it becomes, yeah, it becomes it becomes an act of love uh, to other people. I do what I do well, so you can do what we do well, and we all benefit from it. And when I think work takes on this this newer meaning, um, it becomes less of something that we can't wait to stop when we're 65 and it becomes more of, Hey, I'm, I'm doing what I, what I like doing and it's helping other people. And I want to keep, keep doing that. And, you know, I, I think for a lot of people, it changes, it would probably change the work that they did. Yeah. Um, um, if I'm not just doing what I do so I can make a lot of money from it, but I'm, I'm making enough to, to get by, like I'm being compensated for my work, um, but I'm doing something that I really find meaning in. Um, I think we would all benefit uh, a lot from that. I really relate to everything you just said. So uh, it was back in 2018 that I started adopting this lifestyle, thanks to Lauren and mm -hmm. uh, her inspiration. And I was going through a career transition and by removing all the excess in my life, it made me realize oh, I can design my work around my life rather than the other way around. And, you know, and then I saw, I felt all the benefits coming from living this way. And I got so excited. And I told my parents, I said, oh my goodness. And they said, well, you should do the minimalism thing. I'm like, yeah, I'm doing the minimalism thing. <laughs> it, it's amazing. We're helping people so much. I mean, I was able to help myself and realize how beneficial it is. And I was like, I want to help everybody else. And, and I actually uh, ran this community empowerment event in Toronto, uh, inspired by Tom Billy's Impact Theory podcast for around 13 months. And we basically had an entrepreneur at every event. It was an opportunity for people who worked for themselves to gather in a room together and inspire one another, especially for people who are working on their own. A lot of us who, you know, have our own businesses or are doing our own thing, we're not around the community as much, right? We're not around like-minded people, maybe only virtually. So it was an opportunity for everybody to gather and connect. And, you know, I was, I was living that that lifestyle I was following the Jones Joneses in many ways growing up. And I had a sister who was always very successful and things came easy to her. And I, you know, and to my parents, that was a level that was success. And so I followed her steps in the corporate world. And I remember there was one company I worked for. I would go to work every day and just feel this is not me. Even just the way I was dressing every day. I was like, this is not who I am. And then when I found that next role that allowed me to be kind of an entrepreneur within the organization and dress the way I wanted to, I not only did I, you know, feel better, my work was better. Like mm -hmm. I was more successful. So, you know, you have to really live true to who you are. And I think today we have the opportunity to do that more than ever with 
all the technologies in our life. That being said, as you know, uh, technologies can also be a huge distraction and obstacle. So it's managing all that excess. So, I mean, and I, I love you. You said you quoted minimalism. You said minimalism is the intentional promotion of the things that we most value by removing anything that distracts us from it. I thought that was perfect. That's a great explanation. Yeah. Yeah. One of the beauties too is that if we're all doing work, we like like the overall experience. If you go to get your hair cut, you go to get a coffee, you like meet up with your accountant to do your taxes. If they're interested in their work and they like their work, your experience with that is completely different than working with someone who's just in there to get the money and get out. Yeah. Um, what I thought was funny you said in the book too, is that they wanted to put a chair, like a beach chair on the mm -hmm. front of your book. And you're like, no, like you've missed the point. Like, yeah. this is not like people just like not owning anything and lying on the beach all day. Um, and I think about this too now, cause I, I it, it, it's, it's hard for me to relax. That's something I kind of struggle with. I'm a bit like I work a lot and it's hard for me to take that time off. But you said in the book, you, you need that rest so that you can do better work. Like that's what leisure is for and like why it's so important. So I thought yeah. that that was really interesting. Yeah. I was, I was talking to a friend uh, one time and he was talking about vacation and work and um, couldn't wait to get away or something. I, I forget how the, how the topic came up, but I, I said something that I guess is just the way I've always viewed it. Um, but he, he was like, wow, I never heard that before, but I, I said, you know, I don't work hard so that I can go on vacation, but I vacation so that I can do better work when I get back. And he was like, man, I have never thought about the synergy in that direction before. Like I've always just thought I I do the work so that I can go out and enjoy the rest of my life, not how my work is my enjoyment, my, you know, and I, I take the rest so that, so that I can do, um, so I can do better work. And so I, you know, it's just one of those moments where you don't, sometimes you think people always see the world the same way that you do. And, and like, you don't really realize, oh, I guess I didn't even realize that was a unique, a unique way to, to look at life. Um, yeah. Thanks for, uh, thanks for bringing that yeah, up. That was yeah. I, it's just a, it's just a very different, yeah, it's just a very different approach to it, and um, certainly there's there's space for for balance. But yeah, it's a whole interesting conversation. Like, what is work life balance, and what balance might look like for one person might look different for for someone else, and someone who who likes to work and um, does work. I man, if I if I wake up early on a on a Saturday morning, like I. I open up the computer and try to answer some emails or interact with people on social media because that's what I like literally most want to do with my, with my time. Um, I, I would much rather do that than turn on the television, uh, you know? And, um, so anyway, sorry. You're really not yeah. living on autopilot, which is great. You're living with intention. And that's a word that we, we use often is that this lifestyle is about, you know, it's not just clearing the excess. It's like living with intention once you've cleared all the noise. Right. And, and, yeah. you know, what my favorite highlight in the book is that is the importance of pursuing, you know, your true meaning or what's most meaningful to you so that you can reach the end of your life with minimal regret. And it made me think of one of your blogs, uh, your blog, top five regrets of the dying. 
And uh, I want to read them because I think they're fascinating. The first one is very relatable to your book is I'd wish I had the courage to live true to myself, right? That's number one. And a lot of people don't. And it's because we get lost in the world's everyday distractions. Number two is I wish I hadn't worked so much. Number three, I wish I'd had the courage to express my feelings. Four, I wish I had stayed in touch with my friends. And five, I wish I had let myself be happier. Very powerful. Yes, it is a it is a very interesting it's an interesting list and I um I yeah I was very motivated by it I'm probably motivated as much by the the viral nature of that article um I forget the first year that it was it was published but um somewhere around when I was blogging and it like went like super super viral and super famous and everybody was sharing it and reading it and commenting on it and it it really Help me, I think, realize like why does a list like this become so famous and so well known? And every time I mention that this list was created, like the first question always is, what's on the list? Like, what are the top five regrets of of the dying? Uh, because I I don't think any of us want to get to the end of our lives with with regret, and so we're like, well, what are people saying? What did people get to the end of their life and wish they hadn't done? Because I want to make sure I'm correcting my life along the way so that I don't say the same thing when I get to the end. And you're right that that first one on that list, uh, I didn't even think about it. Like that's what that's what the book is about, right? I mean, at least. That's what the Things That Matter book is about. That's what minimalism is about in a lot of ways. It's about uh, living a life true to myself rather than a a life that was sold to me um, by marketers or culture or society and uh, actually pursued those things that that matter most. Yeah. And and what regrets do you think you would have had had you not adopted this lifestyle? I think the easy one to say, uh, there's probably two answers, although I don't know if I ever would have gotten to the second one. Mm -hmm. So the first one is I regret how much time and money I spent buying things that didn't matter. Um, And I, like, I get those emails and I get those messages all the time, particularly from people who are older, who find minimalism later in life. And they're like, I just feel so good guilty or so much regret or so much shame over how I've been living my life and how much money I waste on all these things. And it can become a, a roadblock to getting rid of things. Like it's just hard for me to get rid of these things knowing I spent so much money on them, uh, which is a different conversation. But certainly I, I assume that um, I, would have the, I would have the same thoughts when I get to the end. Um, probably the the more significant regret, although I don't know if I would ever have been able to articulate it, is that I I would have sold out my greatest potential. Like I would have wasted my attention and my energy, not just accumulating things that I don't need, but constantly chasing and wanting things that I don't need. And that can't help but detract from the good that you could accomplish in those four areas that I mentioned that were important to me. I think I would probably get to the end of my life and think that I did my best when in reality, I um, was probably distracted far more than I would have wanted to admit or maybe even recognize because it just becomes so 
natural and normal and everybody else is living life that way. And so it feels like just what you're supposed to be doing um, and how life is supposed to look until you, I think, take back control a little bit and like, man, that, why, why would I, why would I buy a bunch of stuff I didn't need? I, what's the point, you know, when you kind of um, recognize it for the very first time? Oh, that's so beautiful. I have like goosebumps. <laughs> I love how you, when you talk about in the book, like it's like the world needs your biggest contribution. So no, it's, it's definitely. Yeah. It, yeah. It, and I, I think that's important. You know, it, it, we, we need to live our, we need to live our best lives. Uh, we need to, we need to reach our full potential. We need to live lives that are true to us. One, because we like, we need it. Like that's where we're going to find satisfaction and meaning in life. But beyond that, we need to do it because other people need us uh, to show up. And um, there's a, there's a good that we can do in the world that, that no one else can do. I mean, we have talents and experiences and abilities and relationships and passions that, that no one else in the world does. Uh, and there are people that we can love that, that no one else can love. And there are good things that we can do that, that no one else can do. And if we don't do them, then they're not going to happen. I would say one of the most rewarding parts of living this way is being able to inspire others, you know, uplifting others, helping people see where their interests lie and how they can build a passion, build their passion and, and, and give them the energy and motivation to pursue what they're passionate about. I, I, I got a text from a friend yesterday, we just went for a short walk and he wrote me, he says, Every time I, he's like, thank you so much for motivating me to do what I want to do. It, it just, it feels so good. And for me, that is the best thing. That's, I, I mean, that's why I'm here. Like that, yeah. that makes me so happy uh, to yeah. be able to inspire people to do what they truly want to do so that they're not just living a life on autopilot or working, you know, a, working to be this person that other people want them to be. And, you know, I, I think, I think the, the only, the only part about this lifestyle that I think it can be imperfect at times is that, you know, we were told that we should focus on what's most essential and eliminate the rest. But sometimes what's essential to us, and Lauren can <laughs> attest to this, is a lot of things. You know, Lauren, she, she, her friends always joke, Lauren does 20 things. She tries everything. She's tried everything. Yeah. <laughs> she even did stand-up comedy. She's, she's amazing. <laughs> she's done everything. But sometimes when we focus on what's most important, you know, we we get lost because there's too many things that are most important. So uh, when you speak of making room for the most important things, it made me think of the big rock theory, which for those who don't know is a story that follows a professor who places a combination of big rocks, pebbles, and sand in a jar. And he puts the big rocks in first because those are the most important thing, followed by the pebbles and the sand, less important. But keeping this in mind, what if the big rocks overflow the jar? How can we refine what's most important to us? Yeah. Uh, it's an interesting, interesting analogy. Interesting take on the analogy, Lauren. What do you, what do you find? I mean, what, what do you got an answer to this question? It's so funny. I when I start getting too invested in the little things in life, like I'm like, oh, I gotta like clean my place or like get my workout in or like what outfit am I gonna wear to this? I'm like, oh, your jar's filling up with the little pebbles, Lauren. Like, there's the big things. I, I guess it it just makes you step back and like. I, I always know my three pillars and that's the people in my life, my work 
and myself. Um, and it, if those three pillars are off, it, it doesn't matter what else is going on. Yeah. So yeah, yeah I want to hear your theory. Or yeah. What... I, I, so I think there's probably, um, yeah, I suppose your jar can only have too many big rocks for, uh, for only a short amount of time, or it's going to tip over. Like it, it could probably stay balanced for a little while, but uh, eventually it's, it's going to tip over and everything's going to spill out. Um, and there'll be, there'll be nothing left in there. And so I think probably the, the question is, are all of these things actually big rocks? Mm-hmm. Um, which of these things are actually big rocks and, and which aren't? And if there are too many big rocks, then I think we need to find a filter to decide, okay, which big rocks stay and which ones don't. And uh, pertaining to how long can this last? Like there's, I think there's probably a sense when you're, when you're younger that you, you should be trying new things and figuring out what you love doing and, and what you're great at doing. And I, I didn't become a writer until my mid thirties when I introduced it into my life and discovered that I loved it. And I don't know if I'm good at it or not, but, uh, seemed to be to some extent. And I started to discover, okay, maybe this rock is more important than the other rock that I have in there. Um, but there was certainly a time of testing that out and, and seeing what it's, seeing what it's, um, what it is, but probably the other filter I think, uh, is which of these rocks benefits other people um, the most? Uh, which which of these rocks makes the biggest difference in the world? Uh, which one is is selfless? Um, I, I think that I write a lot about just the studies in, in the world about how when we when we give and when we serve and when we're generous and when we're helping others that we uh, we tend to be more satisfied with life in the long run than when we uh, when we pursue things selfishly. And so I, I think the if there's too many rocks in the jar, I think one filter that we start with is, okay, which of these am I doing for other people and which one am I doing just just for myself? And that's not to negate the importance of self-care so that I can help other people. If you're not feeding into yourself, then you can't feed other people. But, you know, I, I mean, we live in a world of side hustles and, you know, people always trying to figure out what to do to, to make extra money. And if you got room in the jar to be doing some of those things, then, then it's fine. But if your little side hustle over there is taking away time from your family, uh, time from your spouse or time from your kids or, um, time from the, uh, the work that you're getting paid to do and the work that you're um, making a difference in the world, then, you know, maybe that, uh, maybe that's the first rock to go. So I don't know if that answers your yeah, question. It's no, a great absolutely. question, but I, I think that probably they, they can't all last um, for too long. And so finding what are the filters that we ask to decide what stays and what goes is the way to do it. And avoiding burnout as well. I mean, we've, yeah. we've talked about burnout three times. We had conversations about burnout on this podcast because originally when I adopted this lifestyle, I just focused on everything that I enjoyed. I was like, oh, I'm so excited. I get to do all the things I love. And then I realized I was spreading myself too thin. So you have to be mindful of that as well. So go ahead. Yeah. I was just going to say um, the, the thing too, with big things in life is that 
like I always try to focus on what I'm most interested and passionate about now. Cause like maybe in my thirties, I'm more interested in writing comedy, but I won't want to do that in my fifties. So like, you can always do something and then do something after that you might be interested in. Like you don't have to do everything at once. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. In the, in the, in the book, I talk a little bit about how to, how to find purpose. We did a survey for the book. 70% of people say that they've found their purpose in life. Um, so actually, one of the first chapters used to be how to find your purpose. And then we did the survey and said, oh, wow, most people already know what it is. So let's move that to the back. Um, but the the back is all about like, so how do I find my purpose? And it's, a, you know, taking like, what am I good at? Uh, what am I passionate? And what are the needs that I see in the world? And where do these three things intersect? Um, and where those three things intersect is probably the things that are going to lead to the, the most lasting fulfillment and meaning in my life. And those things change, like what we're good at changes and we get new skills and we get new um, talents and we have new experiences and our eyes are open to different needs that occur in the world. And so um, these, these circles change certainly as I think seasons of life change. i uh, my son just went to college and my daughter's a, a sophomore at high school and like my wife has been a stay-at-home mom since since they were born and that's been her her passion and and her role is to you know I, I want to parent my children well so that they can be um, good citizens in the world and you know once they're out of the home like the needs around her are going to change and um probably her the her passions are going to change and so it'll be interesting to to see how that goes oh, absolutely absolutely yeah actually at the end of your book you ask your readers to finish a line and you said this is the beginning of my new commitment to pursue things that matter today i will remove distractions so that i can dot 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 and so your readers are to fill that in i thought that was beautiful it's really Thanks. nice yeah. Thank you. Very, very inspiring. That that whole chapter was incredibly inspiring. So, so anyways, we could talk to you forever. Uh, so happy to have you on the podcast. So to close, we have a couple rapid fire questions for you. So quick answers. The first one is who or what inspires you to keep focused on the things that matter most each day? Uh, honestly, it is cliche, but, uh, my family, uh, it, it um, uh, probably my faith plays a pretty big role in it as well, but um, but my family, it's very cliche, but I, I want to be my best for my kids. I want to be my best, uh, for my uh, wife and, um, that keeps me focused. Yeah. The people around you, how are you hoping to impact your readers with your new book, things that matter? Uh, I'm hoping to, um, bring up new ideas and conversations that may be a distraction in people's lives um, from uh, pursuing things that matter. Uh, and I hope I uh, addressed some ideas and topics that people haven't considered and yet are um, pretty prevalent in the world. And if there was one thing our listeners could implement today to live a more focused and intentional life, what would that be? Well, I always used to say, uh, your life is too valuable to waste chasing and accumulating material possessions. Uh, that was always my closing line when I spoke, and I still believe it to be true. Uh, but the message of the book is to identify your purpose, uh, remove distractions that are keeping you from it, and do it every single day. Uh, and so I will leave with that second piece of wisdom. 
if there's any wisdom in it. (laughs) Beautiful. There is. And I love the last piece. Do it every day. It requires maintenance. Yeah. Yeah, it requires maintenance. Well, thank you so much. That was so nice. It's so lovely connecting with other people in the space. It just, I just feel so aligned when we, when we chat with you. It's fantastic. Well, I'm thankful for the work you guys do and uh, the good you're bringing into the world. So thanks for putting yourself out there and the time and effort. I, most people have no idea how much time and effort goes into a, goes into a podcast. Oh yeah, no, definitely. um, Thank you for doing Uh it. So where can our audience find you? Becomingminimalist.com is a home base for me and uh, I'm a lot of different places, but everything seems to run through that uh, website. So I would, I would send people there. It's home base for most everything I do. Yeah. Check out Joshua's YouTube channel. We love it. <laughs> Lauren and I are always sharing. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. No, that was Thank so you. well done. I, I love how you've dug so deep with minimalism and just brought up so much that people would never think about with the lifestyle. It's incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that, that means a lot. That means a lot. Absolutely. Thank you. Well, thank you so much. And we'll have to do this again very soon. Absolutely. It'll be amazing. Uh, yeah. It's please a do. Pleasure please connecting do. with you. All, All right. right. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. That was our conversation with one of the original minimalist thought leaders, the one and only Joshua Becker. And you can find links to his famous blog, best-selling books, and YouTube channel on his website at becomingminimalist.com. And again, his exciting new book, Things That Matter, Overcoming Distraction to Pursue a More Meaningful Life, releases on April 19th, and you can pre-order now. We were lucky to receive an early copy, and we absolutely loved it. We both see it as a very warm-hearted read and an important one. This book will help you better manage everyday distractions so that you can focus on the things that matter most to you. And for some of you, this book may inspire you to make more room for what you value most. And for others, it may inspire you to shift the direction of your life and your values for the better. All in all, it was a rewarding read. And if you enjoyed our discussion today, please let us know by sharing a story on Instagram or Facebook and tagging both Joshua Becker at Joshua underscore Becker and us at Millennial Minimalist. Or you can leave us a kind five-star reading and review on iTunes or Spotify. We love reading your reviews so much. We read every single one and we want to thank all of you who have taken the time to do so already. So thanks again, everyone, for listening and we'll speak to you soon. Bye-bye.